Life is hectic, demanding, and doesn't stop. When honest with ourselves, we must confess we often don't know what the hell we're doing. The LARCast is an ongoing conversation about the inclusive and mischievous nature of God's presence through the lens of all the things that make up this phenomenon we refer to as life. Astonishing grace and refreshing honesty collide right here for your weekly encouragement. to the lark cast you're rocking live with the lark cats what's up russ cheers my dude cheers to you man got your duke mug today huh i do i do i've had this cup for 15 years yeah that that uh that blue on that d looks like it's ran through the dishwasher a few times yep yep it's uh it's it's traveled to three cities I've lived in, in three different states, three different dishwashers. Still going. Still going. Kind of like Coach K, still going. But he's done still at the going. end of at end of this year. So as an avid Duke fan, how do you think they're going to uh do in the tourney this year? I don't have my hopes up. <laughs> I don't. I love Coach K. I mean, the guy's got so many records. Phenomenal coach, but definitely think it's time for him to time for him to retire, man. Mm. And so yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm more or less uh, just looking forward to next year. Nice. It's like I am with my Bucks now that Brady's coming back. Yeah, dude, you got you got Coach K retiring and Brady coming back, so some nice developments for you. Yeah, buddy, I'm a I'm a happy dude. Nice man. Well, this episode is not about the religion of college basketball, though we could do an episode on that. We have the annual uh, worship service of college basketball, also known as March Madness, <laughs> upon us. Uh, everyone's gearing up for that, dude. I literally heard. Um, uh, a commercial bit on sports talk radio out by me. I listened to the, you know, local Chicago stuff, 670 the score. And they were literally uh, advertising group vasectomies for you and all your homies to get, to get snipped together. So you guys could just chill on the couch and watch March madness. I knew of dudes doing that. Uh, I had heard, I had heard about, guys getting together and, and doing group vasectomies and, you know, watching the tournament together. And now they're literally just like taking that idea and marketing it. So I thought that was pretty interesting. It's pretty bold, man. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but sadly it, it, it will probably work. Yes. Well, people are already doing it, which I think is, is cool. And they're just like, Hey, if people are already doing it. Let's just, you know, let's double down on it. But um, no, this episode is not about the religion of college basketball. This episode is about a much, um, I think a much broader, much bigger religion. Uh, it's the religion of politics. That's what we're getting into today. Can you feel the eggshells underneath your feet, Russ? As we, as we step into this conversation, <laughs> can, you, can, you, can you feel them? Oh, man. I probably <laughs> could have until you said that and... 
And now I'm like, oh, hell no. I'm going to step on all those eggshells. <laughs> so we're continuing in our Finding Freedom uh, in series, Finding Freedom in politics. Um, it's as, as Jesus said, like, you know, uh, you're in the world, but don't be of it. I'm not asking you to leave the world. That's silly. That's stupid. That's impossible. Um, but as we're in the world, as those who find our enoughness and our righteousness in Jesus alone, there's all these things in the world that are competing for us to move away from Jesus and find our significance, enoughness, and righteousness, our justifying story in something other than Jesus himself. And so we're taking a look at some of those things. And the topic today is politics. Um, politics isn't that religious, is it, Russ? Um, it it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably uh, it's probably the the most prominent religion in the West right now. Mm. Yep. Yeah, when you have like secular social commentators talking about the religion of politics. I think it might be safe to say it's pretty yeah. religious. Yep. Yeah. It's, and it really knows no bounds. It's, it's on the right. It's on the left. It's in the middle. Um, it's a, it's, it's pretty real, man. I know we've mentioned this before, but you know, in the 1950s, less than 10% of people polled said that they, that their children marrying someone from a different political party even mattered. So less than 10% of people were like, you know, thought that, uh, thought that that even, you know, was a factor in choosing a spouse. In fact, many people were married for 50, 60 years who voted, to, you know, on two different tickets. And, and you fast forward to today, and according to recent polls, over 80% of people uh, said they wouldn't even share a cup of coffee with someone from a different political party. <laughs> Dude, that seems crazy. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty mind blowing, man. Yeah. Yeah. And then what was the percentage of people who said they wouldn't consider marrying someone of a different political party? Um, under 30 years old, it was like 88%. Oh my gosh. Man. Yeah. Wouldn't even go on a second date. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. that's kind of how I view Packers fans. Like I've been married mm. coming up March 22nd to be 19 years for Pam and I, but if I feel like if I was like back in the dating scene and I met a girl, it would be like, Oh, you're a Packers fan. Like, yeah, next moving on can't do it there it is pretty wild religion the religion runs deep in our veins <laughs> it does it does yeah. man and it's, i feel like there's so many different ways we can approach this conversation i think we're not here to answer all the questions uh this isn't a podcast on how should christians rightly approach and view government um mm -hmm. this is i think I think this podcast is about those who are feeling the weight of that religion, who are feeling the weight um, of the exclusionary um, 
divisive, the pressure, um, the pull of these things in a more day-to-day sense. And to kick things off, uh, we're going to read a small section from the book Seculosity. We've mentioned it before. Um, It's been a great resource for us in the series. Uh, It's been helpful to us. We recommend it to anyone. But just to kick this conversation off, I'm going to read a good chunk um, from uh, the chapter on politics in Seculosity, and then we'll just go from there. So um, it says this, no one has done more research in recent years to understand our narrative obsession, both the benefits and blind spots, than moral psychologist Jonathan Haid. In his aptly titled book, The Righteous Mind, he lays out something he calls moral foundations theory. According to Haid, the human psyche instinctually seeks righteousness, and the righteousness we seek can be categorized according to six different foundations, which he likens to moral taste buds. Care slash harm, fairness slash cheating, liberty slash oppression, loyalty slash betrayal, authority slash subversion, and sanctity slash degradation. Each of these foundations appears across epochs and cultures, and where we locate ourselves on these axes will depend on both our predisposition and context. It will also serve as a pretty reliable predicator of how we vote, how we parent, what kind of a church we attend or don't, as well as how we get along with those who differ from us. As it relates to our current political landscape, a liberal conception of righteousness consists almost exclusively of the first three foundations, care, fairness, and liberty, whereas conservative Mm. righteousness is spread across all six. But here's the twist. Most of this is unconscious, articulated, not in the form of assertions, but story. When asked to tell the story of their lives, liberals emphasize deep feelings about human suffering and social fairness, while conservative accounts tend to temper those same sentiments with reference to respect for authority, allegiance to one's group, and the purity of self. The conflict between them is not a conflict between right and wrong, so much as two competing visions of right. Hate goes to great lengths to establish that divisions arise when people seeking different forms of righteousness. In fact, we may not even recognize the other's concern as righteous at all. Haid notes, for instance, that when he speaks to liberal audience about conservative moral foundations like loyalty, authority, and sanctity, he finds that many in the audience don't just fail to resonate, they actively reject these concerns as immoral. Loyalty to a group shrinks the moral circle. It is the basis of racism and exclusion, they say. Authority is oppression. Sanctity is religious mumbo-jumbo you can see how automatically an us versus them dichotomy develops. Mm. Dang, man. So you have both sides really are coming at this thing from a moral perspective. And that's what's hard is everybody thinks they stand in the moral position. And so back when John Hagee was doing his thing and they, they were naming that like the emergence of, you know, the evan- evangelicals and political, um, you know, involvement as the moral majority. Now everybody thinks they're moral. Everybody feels like they're standing from a position of morality as they approach these issues. 
Yeah, I think what Hayde and his research is, is uncovering is, is sort of the foundation for the division and the polarization today in regards to politics, um, where politics used to be something that you would, you would look to for certain aspects of life and society. You know what I mean? Almost kind of like a container that was on a shelf and you would go and pull from that and you would think through some things and you would vote on some things and you know, decisions would be made and right. And, but then you would you know, move on to things within your family, things within your neighborhood, your church, you know, sports. I'm just saying like these, you know, work, these other factors. What I think hate is showing is that somewhere along the way, um, politics became not just a lens that we would see the world, but the lens by which we would see the world. Mm -hmm. It would become not just a story in our lives. It would become the justifying story of our life. We're a storytelling species. So, you know, we get narratives, but this like political narrative now is like, it's, it's the, it's become the lens for a number of people for how they see not just the world and what should be, but even their, their very self. And so once your identity is brought into this narrative, um, and you feel like you have the moral high ground in your position, mm -hmm. then it's, it's now become this, the guilt management system of your life. Yep. And I think the, the quickest way to discern whether a good thing has become a God thing is how it makes you treat people because built into the political conversation right now, there is no redemption. There is no, there is no grace. There is no mutual understanding. It's completely exclusionary. And I yeah. get this. I, fe I feel this. And just as like a personal kind of like bit of my story, I would say for a really, really long time, play playing the card of being apolitical served me really, really well, especially when I was pastoring, you know, a church, you know, some people would look at it and be like, yeah, you're that's, you know, you're right in the middle, you're right in the fence. It's not good. You need to pick a side and the urgency of you need to pick a side. You need to figure out where you stand on this thing. But for me, I always like loved connecting with a wide variety of people. And so I was able, I was able to kind of just, you know, move in and out of different conversations and, and things like that. But when everything happened in the summer of 2020, I felt like most people that urgency, you know, the urgency of post this square, have this hashtag, pick a side, just the conversations and not necessarily knowing where I stood kind of forced me to start doing like some research. And I tried to be pretty balanced with things. I tried to do so like just with, you know, in conversation with other friends and well, what's the side saying? What's the side saying? What are the issues and, and all that? And just diving into everything. And I will tell you, as I started to dive into that thing, you start developing, you know what I'm saying? You start to get some more information about various things. You start to get an opinion about, you know, certain things you start gravitating and leaning towards one side. And before you know it, your research turns into not just an opinion, but a belief. 
And that belief leads to a way and a lens through which you see other people. And bro, I'm, I'm telling you at the end of that whole journey for me was not just like, oh, hey, cool. Like I know the issues now and I have an opinion. I started hating people, like hating them. And, and, and that quote right there of just like, I wouldn't even have coffee with you. You know what I'm saying? I'm starting to mute people on IG. I'm starting to unfollow them. I'm starting to hate them. And it's just like, oh my gosh, dude, like what is going on? I don't think this is the first John 410. We love because he first loved us. This is something very different than Jesus at work in my story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't personally know what you're talking about. I've never dealt with, <laughs> with, <laughs> with any of that, but no, I, I appreciate you sharing that. And I can concur with, even with my own story, I've been able to point to things on the right that I agreed with things on the left that I agreed with, uh, found myself in that apolitical sphere for a number of years, which, you know, the truth be told, like, it's kind of impossible to really be apolitical. It's, you know, it's like yeah. being a, you know, a cultural. It's like, no, if you live in the world, you're affected by this. You have an opinion. Um, and uh, yeah, man, what, instead of just looking to politics through a lens of the role that it plays and letting it just be that, it started to become a, a justifying lens for my story. Hmm. It started to become something that I am right because I agree and stand on these things that are true and good. Right. And you are wrong. Um, and not only are you wrong, you're the problem in the world. And I need to take, you know, different actions whether it be mute or cancel or cross off or ignore or challenge or rebuke to move you to where you need to be. Hmm. And a phrase that I've heard you use that I'll say is, you know, and, and now instead of being, you know, just a co-heir with Christ, who's a guest at the table, he's set alongside everyone else. I'm now trying to be this like co-redeemer. Hmm. And I'm happy when people grab on board with what's good and true and I'll manipulate the situation for those who, who, who aren't yet. And the whole thing is the opposite of what you see Jesus doing. And it's not love. Yeah. And, uh, it's not good. Yeah. I think that like Luther was onto something back in the day when he saw popes literally being in charge of both church and state and religious authority was applied in both areas. And he was trying to navigate, you know, this whole idea of like two kingdoms. And I don't, I don't think it's a one for one, but this whole idea of like the separation of church and state, every time we try to mingle and kind of like apply Jesus as like the mascot of a certain political party and say, no, clearly yeah because Jesus is like this, then you need to be like this politically. Um, both sides are doing that. And it's like, no, dude, like Jesus just transcends all that. Government is temporal. This world is temporal. 
Paul wrote yeah. to a people in Philippians who were both Jewish um, and Gentile struggling with figuring out how to navigate Jesus as Lord in a world where people were demanding the worship of Caesar, uh, Rome as a superpower at the time. And they're kind of coming out of Judaism and wrestling with, you know, all their old allegiances and sacrificial systems and all that. And he looks at everyone and says, listen, man, there's coming a time where every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. It's not about Mm. your Jewishness. It's not about Rome. It's about none of that. It's like, dude, Jesus transcends all of it. And so when we try to, when we try to kind of like, you know, win Jesus over to the side of our, you know, political party, I just don't see any good coming from any of that. No, no. And I mean, we got 2000 years of people dragging Jesus into their, into their cause. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like we grab onto what he says in regards to what is good and then completely ignore him and what he says about how good comes to be in our lives. Mm. And it just is like this just continuous battle, man. Yeah. Where we're in the name of love and justice and a better world is the opposite of love, the act of injustice (laughs) in not a better world by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Um, And it just, man, we got 2,000 years of this. You know how we were talking about uh, the parable of the uh, laborers um, in the vineyard and Mm -hmm. the parable goes that guy started at, you know, 5 a.m., worked all day, agreed to a wage. And then the guy needed, you know, some extra help towards the end of the day. And God showed up like an hour before quitting time, put an hour in and they got the same wage. And just how offensive that is to our senses and we were kind of like mocking this whole idea of like um, people who try to like start Christian companies and they try to really build it on like the mm. morals and the values of the kingdom. You know, we're like, well, I want to really set this like Christian culture. And if, if you were to grab onto the, the kingdom ethic of letting mm-hmm. someone just waltz into work an hour before quitting time and they get the same wage as the person that's been grinding all day. Like your company would be in turmoil after one day and it would be completely out of business after a week and you'd make the newspaper. And it's like, if, if the parables and how Jesus is describing the kingdom aren't even functionally practical to build a business on, how practical are they to run a freaking country? We try to make it and act as if there's continuity between how this world works and how the kingdom of God works. Dude, you're going to end up, you're going to end up moving away from the gospel altogether in that process. Yeah. Yeah. To achieve this, this moral utopia that you have in mind that God wants, you'll actually operate opposite of what God is like. Yeah. Um, you know, I think one thing that's, that's hard for us to grab onto, myself included, but at the same time is true, you know, just to be clear, is the God who's, you know, created and redeemed and reconciled humanity in his son, you know, he, he births a church, right? He, 
he, he creates a people in the world. And those people are broken people, man, who are clinging to him. That's by definition, therefore the church. And he gives them one ultimate task, you know, proclaim the freedom of the world in me. There's people all over the world who are living their very life, have their very breath, their very existence is in the God who made them. And they don't know it. And they don't know that they're free to stop chasing this worth they already have. Mm. And so he calls the church to proclaim this message, to proclaim this freedom. That's its, that's its role in the world. Everything else that happens beyond that, love, service, kindness, generosity, all those things, those are all what the scriptures refer to as fruit of the spirit. In other words, that's a work that God's doing in us. It's above our pay grade, and we just walk in it as he moves. Okay? Mirrored with that, Romans 13 says the same God created government. And this government has two tasks. According to the maker of humanity. One point to what is good, which he's already defined. We don't need government defining what's good. That that's real bad. <laughs> it's always been bad. Uh, that's how you wind up with, you know, the Nazi regime doing what they did legally hmm. when you allow when you allow people to define good. So the role of government, Romans 13 says, is point to what is good and punish what is evil. That's it. For me, like whenever we think of the government as something more and, and, and set it up to try to do more, it uh, not only does it operate opposite of what God created it to do, it can't help but move into acts of injustice. Yeah. And I could see how someone who wouldn't say Jesus is Lord um, and this world is temporal and I'm looking toward a city to come. I can see how someone who doesn't trust that or know that would then move from heaven down to earth and look at the state as the highest authority and then operate out of yeah. that. I could see that. Yeah, what kills sure. me, what kills me is people who say, no, Jesus is Lord, but act functionally as if this world is all that there is and government is not a temporal thing but a permanent thing. And I need to work very, very hard in order to make this world righteous. There's a freedom in trusting him and a freedom in looking at, you know, the simplicity of what government could do. Just to be clear, like pointing to what is good is not defining what is good. That's a value to the world. Um, punishing evil, just to be clear, is not going to fix anyone. It's not going to heal someone. It's not going to cure those who are doing wrong. It's also not going to eliminate the pain and the suffering of those who, who've suffered from the depredations of others. Nor is civil righteousness going to make you righteous before God. No. All your but, civil involvement. Yeah. So the punishing of what evil, what's evil, is, I th from what I can understand, is really just God saying, Look, there are going to be people in this world who are going to wreak havoc on others. 
they're going to bring harm to others. Mm -hmm. Okay. So to protect the freedom of those people, I've got this temporary elected officials. Okay. And their job is to basically hold those people at bay to, if need be to lock those people up, right. To punish what is evil, right. To keep them from, from bringing harm to those that are free. Again, it won't cure them and it won't heal those who are hurt by them, but it is a temporary solution to the evil wills of mankind. Yeah. And I think outside of that is a people who are learning to trust in who God is and what he's like and learning to live in the solidarity that we have. But that's, dude, again, that's a work of the maker of humanity in humanity. Mm-hmm. And it's never come from, from politics. And it never will. Policies, programs, none of these things can cure the human heart. Never have, never will. And the yeah. more we keep adding to the list, the more injustice is done in the name of justice. When you start to really blend those kingdoms, it gets murky, man. It gets murky. And all of a sudden, you think all your, all your retweeting and all your posting and all your involvement and all that is literally righteous offerings to a king. Um. Oh who you've fashioned in your mind is someone who demands that and even wants that of you or even requires it. The great requirement (laughs) as some have called it. Um, And so seeing these, you know, common virtues versus true virtues as Edwards made a distinction, man, we, I think we can get involved locally. I think we can give ourselves to a number of things. I think we should have opinions. I think it's good to research. Just know, like, as you do that with this current Mm -hmm. political climate, like you are going to get sucked into a religion and you're going to need to cling very, very closely to Jesus as you do that to, to see the trappings. I think I'm, I'm a testimony of that. I, I know that I feel that. And I still feel that. I want to, there's something in my heart that wants my own justifying story to cancel people, to consider myself as right or better than my neighbor, to make me feel good, to put my head down at night on my pillow and be like, I'm okay. Right. Um, So these things are good, but you know, um, there's a difference between common virtue and true virtue, which is what you're talking about. I think what he was saying was more of the fruit of the spirit and righteousness which comes from Jesus, not just this kind of basic, like it's a James two thing. Like your neighbor's at your front door. He needs a shirt and a meal. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Faith without works is, is, is dead to a person who just shut the door. What, what good is your faith to a brother who just needs a hoodie, <laughs> you know, yeah. and some leftover chicken and rice, you know, out of your fridge. Yep. And we'll take that and turn it into, yeah, God's called you to go prove your faith to the world. <laughs> yeah, we act like oh, you're not world proven, hunger you're not is at that. your door. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah you're well, not a James believer. Two, James <laughs> 2 is clearly, you know, world hunger is at our door. No, just the neighbor. Just, just the neighbor. dude. Yeah. Yeah. And what he's, James is saying is that your faith 
in Jesus, which is good and beautiful, is useless to a guy at your doorstep who's starving. If, right? If, if you're not someone who's like, yeah, man, let me get, let me get you something to eat. Yeah. So, you know, I think the, you know, the danger and all of it, you know, just on one side, let me just say, like, we're not going to escape politics. And I know we've made that clear, but it's not yeah. going anywhere. So I think, mm -hmm. you know, know the issues, know what it is that you believe is good and true and right. You know, vote in accordance to those values. That's, I feel like that's a good thing, man. But once politics becomes the lens by which we see the world and see ourselves, man, once it becomes the justifying story of our lives, once it becomes something that by which we find belonging in, I feel like that's where, that's where it gets really dangerous, man. Because as you said earlier, you know, on this episode, like the belonging is conditional, man. Yeah. Right. It's a. Uh, the second you you take on a new opinion based off new information that you might find, you'll find yourselves on the outs really quick, man. Really quick. As the onion once joked, we can have difference, we can have differences of opinions and still respect each other. Says betrayer of the one true cause. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's so so true man i feel like that's kind of oh, what we're man. trying to invite people into is that there's a freedom in knowing who we are in jesus that allows us to enter into the political conversation without trying to seek belonging or affirmation or redemption right in it yeah and be able to change our opinions as we go and i ain't gonna lie man i do think there's a freedom in going wow what would happen if we looked at the church and went, yeah, your role is to proclaim freedom. And we looked at the government and said, literally in Romans 13, God literally says, and for this reason, you give taxes to protect the freedom people already have. Mm. Um, side note, I have a neighbor who, when he lived in LA, used to work for the onion. And he said it was the most craziest, awesome job he ever had in his life. Oh, I can he, imagine. He said, he said like the level of um, like creativity, innovation, and just how like fun, but like how crazy hard everyone worked. He said it was, he said it was one of the best seasons of his life. Mm. <laughs> I said to throw that in there for the, the idea. Says the betrayer <laughs> of the one true cause. <laughs> So good, man. So good. Yes, yeah, so I think everyone's kind of seen, you know, we're saying about politics what we said about business. We're saying about, you know, politics, um, what we've been saying throughout the entire parable series. If yeah. you live in this world, um, religions don't show up in the form of golden calves anymore mm -mm. or physical temples. They are justifying stories. They are things to grab onto um, to convince you that you're good. You're okay. You're enough. Um, there are ways to find righteousness and to convince yourself that you're, you're right. 
And with politics, we find yet another pathway to work, earn, and align ourselves with a narrative so that we can be saved. Um, and make no mistake, it is work. And if you deviate at all, and if you question at all, you are going to quickly find yourself falling from the quote unquote grace of that religion, which side note, I always, I always thought it's funny, like the phrase falling from grace, um, which is, it's ironic because the only way you can really interact with grace is by falling, <laughs> falling. Yeah. you don't, you don't fall from grace. It's you fall into grace. Um, but uh, because it has like a floor, that's like a, like a, like a floor. You, you know what I mean? You fall down and hit the floor and like, okay, you're in grace. But if you, if you trip again, <laughs> well, then you're out. Yeah. Yeah. That's and I think with politics, you ironic. just see uh, that we've thrown it out before. I don't know. It was like that old quote from that New York times. Um, I think contributor, author, or employee, or whatever. It's just, mm -hmm. she said, there's just something unsustainable about a culture that constantly constantly demands um sacrifice constantly demands righteousness yep. but it it shuns it has a disdain for the very idea of forgiveness and redemption yep yep it demands it demands righteousness man adhesion but it has a disdain for atonement yeah, I think it, man, it's so true. It's so true, dude. That's such a great point. And I think that's kind of where we're trying to say is that there's a way to enter into this conversation, be a part, vote. Um, but if, man, if we can get to a place where we're pretty confident in who Jesus says we are, I think it allows us to, to start to look at some of these things like work and technology and busyness and politics and right through a lens in which these things could be helpful mm. instead of so freaking hurtful and divisive. Mm. Cause if, if you, if you, if your political views, man, and your pursuits become the justifying story of your life, you will demonize anyone and everyone who threatens where you stand. And you will legitimize everything you do to shun them from the world and it's yeah. the opposite it is straight up the opposite of jesus and therefore it's the opposite of what is true it's the opposite of what is good and it is the opposite of what is right i think it's one thing to say something's a bad idea and i think religion forces you to say you're a bad person with an idea and you need to be removed yeah and going back to your original stat which kicked this conversation off i think the freedom that the gospel brings is we're free to be citizens. We're free to engage with this temporal um, entity um, mm -hmm. called the state government and, and the ongoing conversation. Um, I get the fatigue. I get those who say I'm all political and want to back off in that in and of itself has become a righteous standpoint too. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like when they were arguing, but I get it. No, totally. I get it because yeah. it's just the fatigue of it. The fatigue yeah. of like really, truly engaging, I think, honestly. Um, 
it's like in Corinth when they're like, well, I was baptized by Peter. Well, I was baptized by Paul. And then there was that camp. It's like, well, I'm baptized of Jesus. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if there's anything more smug than, than yeah. that. You try, you, you try to sound very virtuous in saying it, but it just, it doesn't come across like, you know, well, actually uh, I'm of this uh, party that no one knows about over here because all you guys are idiots. But yep. um, I think what, to go back to your, um, stat. I think we're free to have an opinion and and have coffee. We're free yeah. to have an opinion and have coffee. We're free to um to invite you know our enemies, dude. What 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 yep. society would tell us are our enemies um to our tables? Because really, if you think about it, man, like we might have enemies. I think all of us feel the shrapnel of relational brokenness in this world. Mm-hmm. Like if I had a, if I had a, to write a list of enemies or at least ones that I've made in my heart, I've probably declared them to be enemies. But if I tear, if I stare really, really long and hard at the cross in the things that Jesus has declared at the end of the day, I don't, I can't honestly say they are truly enemies because he's reconciled all things. So you're free to have an opinion and you're free to have coffee. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You're, you're free to forgive those that you that that have hurt you over the political divides of today and you're also free to ask for forgiveness you know i've I've walked through both of those things yeah um so i think uh and i think we're free man to just just pull back and and just sort of take in like what's really true man as we as we enter into political conversations uh, something that Kruger wrote to me that has been pretty profound is uh, he said, there's more crime stopping power, more culture shaping value, creating power in one person who knows who they are in God because of Jesus Christ. Than there is in a thousand of our committee generated kingdoms. Hmm. I'm like, ah, there it is. The debate that's in front of you is not at the surface level of all the, you know, the things that we often make it of. Hmm. What what's ultimately in front of us is someone always ourselves included who need to be grabbing onto what is real and true in Jesus. And then in that freedom, begin to look at, and enter into the political discourse because hmm. and wherever someone in front of you lands they land and you're still free to love them and disagree with them but still love them <laughs> yeah yeah as you as you walk forward yep yeah, man good stuff man there's a lot more to say on this. Oh, of course. But I think like what we're talking about, like really to just take it in to know like, yeah, dude, we've been, we've been radicalized. All of us have, you know, we have all probably felt in small or big ways. The, the power of the religion of politics. If you have a phone, dude, if you have eyeballs and ears, um, it's probably pretty hard, especially in the last couple of years, man. It's been so yeah. wild. It's been so wild. 
So just encourage you to just sit, you know, with, with some of this and, and, and sit with, you know, good news and sit with the, uh, the only true righteousness there is in this world, which is found in Jesus and given freely something that you don't have to earn work for, or, um, you know, stay in line, um, to be in. Yep. And, um, yeah, hopefully this is an encouragement to you guys. We'd love to hear from you on it. We'd love to hear feedback. We always welcome it. Email, reach out, text, hit us up on IG, um, whatever. We'd love to hear how this episode's hitting you. We'd love to hear how this finding freedom series is, is hitting you guys and continue to have, uh, the conversation. I always am blown away when I'll get a random text from somebody and they've been listening since day one, but I had no idea. They're like, yo man. I'm like, I've been listening to Larkast since like episode, whatever. And like, they decided to finally reach out and engage like on episode 40. Yeah. And I'm like, bro, like, that's awesome, dude. I had no idea. Yeah. So shout I out to it. all you closet Larkast listeners who have yet to reveal yourself and, and reach out. This is truly a conversation. We're not on here just, you know, as a platform, because we need to get the stuff off of our chest. Um, we value above all the spread of good news and the um, the growing community of good news and the conversation. So please reach out, engage. We'd love to meet you and interact with you. Yeah. Cheers to that, man. Yep. Cheers. Hugs and kisses, Russell. Until next time.